We're thrilled to have with us today Philip Cameron. Uh, Philip has a heart. We were talking in my office just prior to service, and so there's, there's a deep connection. I dealt with orphanages in Russia uh, for years and saw what was happening there. And I am so thrilled because he's making a difference. Turn around, look at your neighbor and say, I want to make a difference. You know, what it comes down to is this, is we, we do life. The question is, is what will your life do for others? And so Christ came, he spent 33 years with us on this earth. But what he did while he was on this earth changed our lives forever. And so I don't want to just, you know, I, I've told you, you, you've heard me say several times, if, if living for God had been about going to a church and sitting on a pew, I would have never done it. There had to be a reality to God for me. There had to be something that moved past the facade of religion and, 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 and that would touch my heart and, and, can, and, and touch me as an individual. And that's exactly what he did to me. And when that happened, some folks thought I had flipped out. Some people thought I lost my mind, but I figured, look, there were folks that thought I lost my mind before I was living for God. Why should I care if they think I've lost it now? But what I want you to see, and Philip is going to be sharing with you the fact that you can make a difference, that every individual can have a direct impact on someone else's life that can change their life forever. We're honored to have him here today. Would you please make him welcome as he comes right now? I think we should give the Lord Jesus a big hand, don't you? He is worthy. It is a joy to be with you today. I hope you understand my accent. I speak all the time. In fact, the more tired I get, the more the accent comes out. So by the time the service is over, you might not understand a word I'm saying. <laughs> Anyone here watch us last night on television? Anyone get a chance to see us at TCT? No one? One person? Well, that's good. good. Two, three. Well, you better. You, you two guys in the back better because you were there. We had an amazing time last night. I was going back to my uh, hotel room, and uh, I got a text from a lady called Miss Julie Pig. A great name. But she and her husband run uh, uh, Masters Media, which is a telephone answering service that most of the major ministries in America use. I've known her for many, many years. And uh, what happened was yesterday, I didn't know this, but Garth and the team at TCT had arranged any, if perchance there was extra calls, it would be put over to, to, to their um, um, place. So she texts me, she says, we were slammed last night. We had over 400 calls after all the calls on the T TCT counselors' places. They had, and, and a bunch of more salvations and stuff. So we had a great time last night. So we give Jesus the praise and the glory. I spoke last night on household salvation. It is the theme of my life. Um, anyone here... Anyone here have an unsafe loved one in your family? Anybody, a son, a daughter, an uncle, an auntie, someone in your life? Let me see your hand. You'll find that most everyone in this building has someone in their family that doesn't know Jesus. Well, I'm here to tell you today that God has a plan and a hope for you, for you and your entire household. 
So today I want to speak of that for a few minutes and towards the end of the service. I've got a couple of young ladies that are from the country of Moldova. They're part of the ministry we have there that we found in, in, in horrendous straits, orphans without any hope. And today they are tremendous young women of God and you're gonna have a tremendous blessing by meeting them. And so I just, I'm so thankful to be here. My son, Andrew, is somewhere. I, I can't, stand up, Andrew, will you please? That good looking young man right there is my son. He is the reason, he is the reason I ended up doing what I do as a, a calling in my life. Um, many years ago, oh dear gracious, almost 30 years ago, I was sitting in my house in Alabama, I live in Alabama. Can you imagine a Scotsman living in Alabama? And you say that God doesn't have a sense of humor. It's a, it's a, I went there and I thought, well, I've got, we were four kids and I'm gonna have them all speak Scottish. I'm gonna keep them Scottish. And my daughter, Melody, who is now 37 or 38, her first day at school, she went to school and, and uh, she came back and she says, Daddy, and in our house we only speak Scottish. And then she says, Daddy, I learned something today. I says, what did you learn, darling? She says, I pledge allegiance. <laughs> to the flag. And I'm screaming, Chrissy, they've done something to her. One day and they've ruined her. So all my kids talk funny, except I'm, I'm, I'm still holding out. The South will rise again and all that good stuff. <laughs> but it is a delight. I just, I appreciate you so much. Allow me to come today and share my heart with you. For your family first, I'm gonna believe God with you for total household salvation. And then for you to believe God for my family those that have had no dad or mom to love them, that sit in hopeless situations, going nowhere, told every day that they're a failure and a disgrace, and yet God died for them on that cross through Jesus just as much as he did for us. And they have as much value as we do. So I'm great. Our family, every man in our family for the last 200 years, my dad, my uncles, my granddad, my great-granddad, we were known in our town as the drunken Camerons. We were the alcoholics of the town. We were the guys that you saw lying in the gutter on Monday morning when you were going back to work. Our whole town hated us. Um, my granddad, or my great-grandfather rather, got drunk one night and the, the whole police force of our little fishing village in Scotland, all four of them, went to arrest him. His name was George. And um, they found him down the harbor, drunk as a skunk. And they tried to arrest them, and George threw all four of them in the, in, the, in the harbor in freezing cold weather in freezing cold Scotland, and then walked himself up to the, the, the police uh, station and was sitting in the jail waiting for them when they came back for, out of the harbor. And uh, in fact, a lot of our town, most all have gone now, but when I was growing up, when I was a wee boy in Scotland, most of the old men remembered the Camerons as we were. And they could never forgive God for forgiving us. <laughs> that is the truth. They would meet me and they'd say, Fari, who are you? Fari, I'm Philip Cameron. Aye, and fa's your feather, Simon Cameron. And fa's your grandfather, Michael Cameron. Oh, aye, we can for you are. You're Michael Simons Philip. 
They tagged us back in history. Did any of you understand anything I just said just now? <laughs> Some of you got the most puzzled look on your faces. That is what you will speak when you get to heaven. No, 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 no. Laugh if you will. St. Peter is not wearing a robe. He's wearing a kilt. So if there's any Scottish amongst you, I would hold on to that as hard as you can. Um, if, there's any, if, if, if there's any English people here, you can leave right now if you want. Just go right ahead and go. We, we, we don't like the English folks. They've been abusing the Scots for many, many years. And uh, if you're Irish, well, we will hold you in prayer. We're going to keep praying. I don't care what anyone says. I've teased the Irish for many years. This is a truth. I have, been, I have brutalized Irish feet all my life. In Scotland, we have national jokes. We'll talk about the German. A German is fine until you put a uniform on him. An Irishman is a Scotsman with his brains bashed out. So anyway, before you all got offended at me, my kids for my birthday last year got me one of those Ancestry.com thingy-majiggers, you know? So I spat in the tube and I sent it away and it came back after six weeks and you are not going to believe what the results were. Shh, I'm... I'm half Irish. So I have been apologizing to every Irish person I know. I am deeply sorry for all the mean things I've said. They're true, but they're mean. <laughs> but it's a great joy to be here. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, just for a wee minute, let's look at the Bible regarding your family's salvation. How many understand that God has a plan and a purpose for every one of, every one of us? You're not a mistake. When I talk to these kids in Moldova, the theme of, what we, of our ministry is if you are born, God has a plan. If you're here this morning and you are, we were born, God has a plan ordained for you. But that means your unsaved loved ones also, if they are born, God has a plan for them. And you and I are God's contact people between him and them. And when you start believing for household salvation, God makes you the contact person to bring deliverance into your family. I am, as I told you, the first generation for 200 years that hasn't been an alcoholic. I've never tasted alcohol. I hate alcohol. Most of the heartache I see in Moldova is, is the result of alcohol. Broken homes, broken families is the result of alcohol. And I don't think, and I don't care if you think I'm old-fashioned and fuddy-duddy and all the rest of it, I don't think Christians need to drink. Amen. It's not how close we get to the edge that counts. It's how far we stay away from the edge that counts. And uh, I know that that's sadly become a controversial thing in the church today. I believe we should have standards and that's one we should not break. Don't be, don't be going to a bar and standing next to a guy with a pint or a, a drink in your hand telling him that Jesus is the answer. Because he's going to say to you, well, if Jesus is the answer, how come you're drinking a scotch? Oh, boy, you could quite all of a sudden, Jesus. Every man in our family is an alcoholic. My, my uncle Michael, my dad's oldest brother, 
was in the north of Scotland. A, an American boat had been torpedoed by the Nazis and beached on an island called Stroma Island. And my uncle, along with a team of guys, had been sent up by the British government to, 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 to scrap this boat, to cut it all in pieces and take the metal, which was very precious, down to the munitions factories in England. And every weekend he got a pass, Michael would go to the bar in, in the town called Wick, and he would stay drunk all weekend, and what he didn't drink, he would carry back to this little island of God-fearing Calvinistic people. And they terrorized these poor islanders, these lowland Scots guys that were, would live pretty wild in comparison to the Irish, to the island, the island people, the Irish people. I've got iron in my brain right now. And one, one weekend, my uncle went on this over to the mainland and there's a little tea room that the bus came to and he, you catch the bus to Wick. And he's sitting there between the salt and pepper shaker in this little cafe, a tea room, there was a piece of paper up on its edge like this. And he picked it up and it said these words, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. One verse out of one book of the Bible. And my uncle began to weep under the conviction of the Holy Ghost. And the young woman who was, was, was the waitress came over and she said, son, are you saved? He didn't know what saved meant other than we're fishing people. We come from a fishing community and if someone was lost in the sea or they were saved, he knew that much. And he looked at this girl and he says, I am saved. He says, what's this words? And she says, that's the Bible. That's God's book to humanity. He says, she says, that's only one verse out of a whole book. He says, well, where can I get this book from? She says, if you go up to the, to the, book, the reading room in Wick, you can go in there and, and you can buy them in there. And that's what he did. He went up to the bus. Instead of going to the bar, he went to the reading room. Then he put his wages on the desk and he says, how much Bibles will my money buy me? And he got an armload of Bibles, went back in the bus, back over to the island, and knocked on every door on the island and said, I met a man called Jesus over there. He stopped drinking. He stopped drinking that moment. Delivered from alcohol. First time he got a chance, he went back down to our fishing town and stood in our little kitchen in Scotland, and he said, we don't have to live like this anymore. We don't have to do this. There's a better way. I found a man called Jesus, and instead of being happy, they got mad at him. And for seven years, he prayed and prayed for his family. My dad would come home from school for his lunch, and as he left to go back to school, he'd hear Michael, who would come home earlier and eat quickly and went back to his room to pray. And as my dad walked past my Uncle Michael's bedroom, you'd hear my Uncle Michael saying, That's Simon, Lord. Save my brother Simon. And they thought he was nuts. And two young preachers came to our town and had six weeks of services in a little fishing town and had 96 converts in six weeks. 67 of them were Camerons. 67 alcoholics came to Jesus. What would happen in this church? If 50 of your loved ones got saved, if 30 of your family got saved in the next six weeks, 
What would happen to the services in this place if dozens upon dozens upon dozens of people started walking through that door, saved by the blood of Jesus, baptized in the Holy Ghost? What kind of difference? We would have to have two and three services. You'd have to build a new building. You'd have to have new converse classes. Your baptismal tank would be war and done. And you don't think that's God's will? Let me tell you the will of God. God's will that none should perish. The Bible says this is for me and for my children and my children's children and as many as the Lord God would call. How many do you think God wants to call? Jesus died on the cross for everybody. And it's a promise in the church that we have no longer used. It's something that we no longer claim. And the fact of the matter is, if Jesus were to come tonight, I said this last night on television, if Jesus were to stand there and say, I'm coming back for you at midnight tonight, how would you spend the rest of your day? Would you go home and watch TV? Would you clean your house? Get your cars washed? Balance your bank? I know exactly what you would do. You'd be on the phone and visiting every loved one you know. Jesus is coming. Are you sure you're ready? Are you sure you're ready? Is everything right with you and God? Well, if that's what you'd do if today was the last day, what should you be doing every day? We've turned God into our personal butler that he's going to give us stuff and bless us and make us feel good about ourselves. And if someone talks anything about self commitment and, and discipline, then we get mad and that's called condemnation. That's not cond condemnation, that's the truth. And we've heaped to ourselves teachers and we've got itching ears and we follow to and fro any wind of doctrine. But the fact of the matter is, this church is responsible for everybody that is connected to us. Community, this is community church. Well, let's start winning our community for Jesus. And where do you start? You start in your own house. And I think we should do next Sunday, what we should have is the ushers outside of the parking lot and anyone that comes to church with an empty space in their car will find them $100. <laughs> we could really support missions there, brother, I'm telling you now. But I want to encourage you, in Acts 16.31, you know this story. It's a great, um, it's a, it's a great, one of the great stories of the Bible. Um, let's start beginning in 19. When her master saw that their hope, this is Acts 16, verse 19. But when our master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. Let me tell you, when you've got God on your side, you're going to cause trouble. And they teach customs which are not lawful to us, and being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes. Now, you imagine if this was you tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beating with rods. And when they laid many stripes on them, they threw them in prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But, but, I'm so glad that in every situation there's always a but. 
God's going to arise in your circumstance, and God is about to arise in theirs. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. I don't care what your circumstances today, God's call in your life is to praise and worship Him. Because other people are listening to what you're doing. You know your unsaved loved ones listen to you all the time? You might not know it, but they are listening to what your tone and your attitude and your heart is towards life. And if you're a grumbler, they're going to think, well, if that's what serving God is, I don't want to serve God. If you're a complainer and you're a, just sorry for yourself all the time, they, you, you've lost your testimony before you start because your life is read before your words are heard. In fact, I know Christians, are, some Christians are the only reason that their family ever pray. An unsaved loved one sees you in the grocery store and goes, Oh, God, not them. Please, God, don't. Not them. Not today. Lord, God, help me. Hi, how are you? Are you really happy? Do you know Jesus? He'll give you joy in the thinking, well, if that's the kind of joy, I don't want that kind of joy at all. The Bible says it is with joy that you draw waters out of the well of salvation. And when Jesus, when Jesus lives big inside you, then you attract the lost to him. Amen? So the next time you see a loved one that isn't saved, make sure that you're the most fun person they've met all day. Is that all right? I was, I was in Indiana one time, and I was preaching in the, I don't remember the name of it, excuse me, but it was in the, it was in the um, place where Larry Bird used to play basketball. What's it? Indianapolis, the, the, the big arena there. They had a citywide thing, and I was a speaker. And this lady came up after church, and she was crying, and pray for my husband, and he won't get see. We used to have a great time with a great marriage, but we don't, we don't. And I says, tell me about what's happening. She says, well, I got saved, and we used to go to the bar all the time, but I, I, I won't go anywhere with him now because he's a, he's a rotten sinner. And I, I, I don't watch TV with him anymore, and I, and I lie in my bedroom and pray, and I speak in tongues under the bedroom door so he can hear me talk. I says, lady, if you were my wife, I wouldn't talk to you either. <laughs> so we were back about a year later, and, and, uh, and uh, this other large building, and, and all through the service, I hear this voice shouting and clapping more than anyone else, and shouting. And when you've done this a while, you kind of know hot spots in a church. You know where not to get after service, you know. So this, this, so I kind of walked myself over to this side of the platform to get away from where she was, and uh, and I, 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 it was unsuccessful. She got up on the platform and ran towards me, and she she wasn't little at all and I'm thinking I'm thinking oh she's gonna knock and I'm not small either and I'm thinking she's gonna knock me off the platform so I kind of braced myself and she ran up and there's a weak guy running behind her and and she hugged me and didn't know and uh, anyway I, I didn't and so she she says oh she says thank you do you remember me and I'm going no no I should but I don't no I don't she says yeah, I was here last year when you told me I'm the one that spoke in tongues under the door to my husband I said I remember you now <laughs> she says well this is my husband this little guy she could have picked him up and put it in her pocket you know a wee fella <laughs> and I told her I says when you go home tonight I says bring him flowers
scare him half to death. She said, I says, every time he comes home from work, make him nervous to come to the door because he doesn't know what to expect when you come inside the door. Be the most fun woman he's ever met. And that's what you did. And the guy got saved a few months later. So what I'm telling you is this. Listen. Is Jesus, didn't he say he's come to give his life more abundantly? Hasn't he said that we'll have joy unspeakable and full of glory? Well, change the shape of your face, for goodness sake. We're filled with the Spirit, not lemon juice. So Paul and Silas, getting back to them, were praying and singing hymns, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake. If you praise, God will use your praise to shake the foundations of the prisons that are holding you and your family bound. There is power in praise. He lives in the praises of his people. And when we start to praise him, we take the authority out of the devil's hands, and we put it into God's hands over our family. And the, the, the prisoner began to, the, 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 there's an earthquake, the foundation of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loose. So in a moment, liberty came to all the prisoners. Did they run away? No. Do you know why? I'd rather be in prison watching God move than being free all by myself. If we let God's power move and manifest amongst us, folk will come and watch what's happening amongst us. Amen. Listen what happened. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. You talk about a drama. There's an earthquake. The doors are flying open. Paul and Silas are beaten with rods. The chains fall off. The prisoner officer jumps up and gets his sword out to kill himself. This is all in the space of seconds. And you say, serving God's boring. <laughs> they make a movie out of this stuff, don't they? And in fact, the way they're making movies today in the church for, about Jesus in the church and the history, they will. So watch and see, it'll be up pretty soon. <laughs> then he called for our, uh, Paul cried with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm for we are all here. Then he called for a light and ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You shall be saved. Is that the end of the scripture? What's the rest of it? And your household. Your salvation is not just about you. God has a covenant for your family as well. This is a contract that you're looking at just now. The contract has a condition and a benefit. Believe, that's the condition, and you'll be saved. That's, that's the benefit. If you buy a house, the condition is you pay your money or your mortgage and you get to stay in the house. A car, it's all the same thing. This scripture is a covenant with God. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. And your household. Now, if you get a letter tomorrow morning from a lawyer and says, look, your auntie that you don't even know about in South Africa is, has left you a hundred million dollars. Now, I've had a few of these calls myself. I've had relatives die in Nigeria, an awful, I've had an awful lot of relatives in Nigeria, and they've called me and told me if I send the money, they're gonna send me a hundred million. <laughs> and I just can't trace my line back that way for some funny reason. 
But anyway, but if this was legitimate, and this company, this lawyer called you and says, look, your uncle's died, you are the sole beneficiary, We're going, there's, a, there's $100 million, just come down and sign the papers. And you walked into the office and the contract was there, and the lawyer said, I'll tell you what, sign the contract, but we're not giving you 100 million, we'll give you 10. Would you sign the contract? Would you say, okay, then I'll take 10 instead of 100? I bet you wouldn't. You would say, no, 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 no. The covenant, the contract says 100 million is mine. Well, if you take and fight for 100 million, why are you fighting for your family? Why aren't you saying to the devil, not a hoof left behind? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He has redeemed me and called me by my name. My name is Philip Cameron, but my name, my real name is Cameron. Philip, I could have been called any other first name, but my name, my history, when I do my research as to being Irish, I, ch I checked up on Cameron, not Philip. I've redeemed thee and I've called you by your name. So when Michael, my uncle, got saved up in the north of Scotland that day, God didn't say, Michael, come forth. God said, Cameron's come forth. And he established a new contract with a family called Cameron, and the devil from that moment was trespassing in our lives. And the devil is trespassing in your family, and you've got the right to say to him, get out of my family by the blood of Jesus and the covenant of Acts 16.31. When I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, I will be saved and all my family. I said this last night. If you went home today to your kitchen and there's a, a stranger in your, in your house, you never met him before, and you walked into the kitchen and he's eating your lunch, what would you do? Hi. Is that what you is that what you do? What's the first thing you would say? Who are you? Uh, you're faster than I am. Who are you? Oh, I'm I'm John. What's the next thing you'd say? What you do to my house? Oh, I like the look of it. I'm moving in. Uh, pass me some ketchup. What's the next thing you would say? Oot. Oot. Out. And if you don't go out, I'm going to help you along the way with my German friend Glock. If you would defend your kitchen that way, how come you let the devil in your family? And you made a deal with the devil to not stir things up when the promise of God is total household salvation. How many in this room today want to claim every one of your family saved in the name of Jesus? Let me see your hand. I'm going to pray with you right now. I'm going to pray with you. If you want me to pray over your family that 2018 20, 20, will be a year of household salvation for your family, I want you to lift your hand up right now. I'm going to agree with you. Father, every person whose hand is up right now, we claim a, 
a wave of salvation in this church, a wave of revival in every home. I come against the devil. I rebuke the devil from every family. We resist the devil and we demand that you free, flee from us in the name of Jesus. You have no authority over our home and our family. We've been redeemed by the blood and we claim as a church total household salvation for every one of our family members and we begin today to resist you out of our family and claim a revival of salvation in Jesus name and everybody said amen 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 you have the right to do this and I'm I'm, I'm telling I'm believing God you should get a a, a prayer wall or something in the church get photographs of unsaved loved ones put up on the wall and start battling hell that our families are not going to be left to go to hell they're coming to heaven with us I have got six grandbabies I got four of my own kids but I got six grandbabies is it funny when you get grandbabies how your own kids just are not important anymore I just don't care you know, I, I used to love them so much, and I, I just don't care about them anymore at all. In fact, I look at them and think, how can I kill you and get my, your, your babies to make them my babies? Is that bad? Did I, did I just say that out loud just now? I'm sorry. I didn't mean <laughs> I love my kids, but I love my grandbabies. I get six. And anyone on Facebook with me, you'll know I've got a little grandson called Rowan. I call him my little minion. And I adore him to pieces. And he was born so many different things wrong with him. And he's the smartest kid I've ever met in my life. And I'll tell you now, if I made it to heaven and Roy wasn't there, it wouldn't be heaven. Angels singing wouldn't matter to me. Golden streets are not important. I've lived on blacktop so I can live without golden streets. But I can't live without my kids being there with me. And my grandbabies. And I'm claiming the scripture in Deuteronomy says for a thousand generations. That means I can stand today and say for 40,000 years, any baby with my blood in it is going to be saved in the name of Jesus. Amen. Anyway. I was sitting in my house, I was sitting in my house almost 30 years ago and the phone rang and my dad was on the phone from Scotland. And I picked up the phone, I said, hello, he says, there are babies dying. I said, what did you say? He says, there are babies dying. He was watching the BBC. He had had surgery in his back and the wound had burst open, cancer surgery, and, and it was twisting. Every time he twisted, it would, this, the, the wound was growing. And they had a brace on his back to keep him rigid. And he's watch, all he could do was sit and watch TV and read the Bible and, and newspapers. And uh, I said, what are you talking about? He says, that I'm watching babies in Romania dying. I says, oh dear, that's such a shame. It hadn't come to American news yet. How many, how many understand that American news isn't always quite true? No. Don't get me started. Anyway, so I says, that's, I says don't be upset, Dad, because we hadn't got the pathology back to see if this, this cancer had spread or not. Next day he called me. I said, hello, there are babies dying. I says, you told me that yesterday. I says, Dad, don't get upset. You can't do this. 
I says, I'll send the Red Cross $100 and leave this. Just don't, don't get upset. Next day, he called me. Do you know that our baby's dying? I says, this is the third day you've called me, Dad, and I know exactly. He says, well, what do you plan to do about it? I says, nothing. I says, let me point out something to you. You are sick and I am busy, and that's not our fight. Next day, he called me. Guess what he said? No, he didn't say that the next time. He said, I'm going by myself. I can't sit here anymore. And if you're not going with me, if I die, it's your fault. <laughs> and that was my introduction to missions. I was living a selfish life. I had written one book on household salvation that had sold 300,000 copies. I was on every TV networking station across America. I'd go and do a telethon for a night, and they'd pay me anywhere from three to $5,000 for two hours' work. I had anything I wanted. Every year I went to Hawaii with my wife, Chrissy. I had no, no needs in my life. And my father dragged me to this place, got to this orphanage, and walked in the door, and the smell of human waste was so bad I wanted to vomit. And I ran back outside, and I says, I'm not going back in there. I says, you wanted to go to an orphanage? There you go. And you go, help yourself. He says, you get in there. I says, no, I'm not. I'm not going in there. He says, you'll offend these people. I says, if, if I throw up, I'm going to offend them. He says, well, you're going to have to throw up. And he grabbed me, and he dragged me into hell. Starving babies. Dying in their cribs. Covered in their own waste. And my whole world changed in a moment. Preaching wasn't so important. Singing was not important. All the books I'd sold, the nice car I had, everything, it just disappeared in a moment. And I found my destiny to help broken people, broken kids that no one else wanted. I was back six weeks later, standing, crying in this building, leaking roof. The, the kids had no toilets. They just, those big coffee tins. And the, you know the old-fashioned can openers you use that leave spikes? Well, that's what they had, and they, they sat these babies on these cans for a couple of hours at a time, and they all were cut around their bottom with raw, just raw edges. And, and they left them there. They, they put a blanket out with all these coffee cans, and they put the babies there and leave them. As a, and if they got off the, of the blanket, they would beat them and put them back on the, the blanket. And it was just, it was, it was like, it was like Dante's Inferno. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And I was back again six weeks later, standing, sobbing, saying, God, why are you making me back here? I hate this place. And I went up the stairs into one of the dormitories, and, and there was a, 30 kids, all with metal painted, metal cribs painted with lead paint, and, and, and just horsehair mattresses, no sheets and stuff. And they'd climb over each other's cribs and take their own waste and mix it with everyone else's waste, filthy. And in the middle of all this, a wee boy was standing. And he was looking, tiptoe up, looking down the road towards me. And uh, the Lord spoke to me and he said, that's your son. Clear as I'm talking to you. And my dad was with me. I said, look at this boy. I said, look at that boy. And my dad says, oh, he's a bonny boy. He's a pretty boy. I said, no. I said, God wants me to adopt him. And I did. I picked him up and I said, I, don't, I know you don't understand me. But I promise I'll never rest until I get you. Whatever it costs, I'll find you. And uh, a year later, I, I adopted him. And that's him back there. 
Stop handing. So, I was a, a bit younger then, a bit heavier too. And this is the young boy. Isn't that crazy? And uh, he's gone downhill a lot as well since that picture, I can tell you now. But God used him to remind me every day as he was healed by our love. He had spent his whole life in a crib two feet by three feet. His hands were like this. He never held anything. He never used his hands, and he wouldn't have been able to climb up those steps. And as God healed him through our love, the Holy Ghost kept saying, what about the others? What about those who will never get out of that place? So I said to Christy, I'll go back one more time. They need toilets. I'll take toilets in. And then I'll get them beds and the roof's leaking. I kept going back. And um, I've been back in Romania and Moldova in the Ukraine over 180 times in the last 30 years. And uh, it's his fault. So now, now he's my boss. He nags me all the time, gets me up, gets me ready, tell me what I gotta be. He's a brutal man, brutal, brutal man. <laughs> 20 years ago, my dad called me. And he says, don't stay in Romania. By this time, we had trucks and stuff. We we're helping the kids. And he says, don't stay in Romania. I want you to go to Moldova. I says, where in the name of heavens is Moldova? Where are you sending me to now? He says, it's not far away. It's just one more country over. <laughs> over the Carpathian Mountains in a blizzard in January in a Mitsubishi Galant car with no snow plows, no salt, and no barricades on the U-turn bends, and every ice, and I, I can still feel it, the car giving way underneath me, going down the hill, and the left-hand bend, and me, the, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. I prayed. I had GPS before there was GPS. God knew where I was, I'm telling you now. I was screaming his name, and got to an orphanage in that country. Um, the, the, the British press had described it as the, the dying rooms of Moldova. I walked in and the director said to me, have you ever seen a baby freeze to death? And my stomach turned and I said, no, sir, no. 11th of December. He says, well, this year so far, 16 of our children have frozen to death. And what Romania didn't do, Moldova did. And we walked there, fixed that place up, and then I was taken by the government to the biggest orphanage in the country. They needed windows, 391 windows we replaced. And uh, at the end of the three payment sessions we had, my wife and I were three times, the, the director says, come, we'll show you something. And, and outside on our park bench, there was 18 girls sitting. And he said, uh, they all must go. I says, where, where are they going? And he went, and that's when I learned about human trafficking. And they'd been painting their dorm room and the director and the teachers were saying, do a good job when you paint your room because your kids will soon be here. Every day told you're nothing, your mother doesn't want you, your father doesn't want you, you're garbage, nothing plus nothing will always be nothing. You're a failure, you're nothing. And I found them sitting on that park bench and I looked at Chrissy and I said, we just finished a house, but we'd filled it. And I said to Chrissy, how many more can our house take? 
And I'll never forget my wife's look, the look on her face, and she says, Philip, if we turn the computer room into a bedroom, we can take three. And that day, I had to pick three out of 18 and let 15 go away. Hardest day of my life. The only difference between the good ones and the, the ones that were saved and the ones that weren't was a bed. And you'll see a girl in a beige shirt leaning forward next to the girl in the white T-shirt. Her name is Dasha. And Dasha is here with me today. Would you like to meet her? Come up here, Dasha. Now that's, that's how Dasha was when I found her. So she's got quite a bit older as well. And what else? And she graduated last year from Auburn University. Isn't that crazy? On the dean's list. Now works full time in our ministry. She is our liaison between us and all the outreaches we have. What happened over the years was Dasha's age group. Also, in that, on that bench, there's a girl in the white called Nadia. And Nadia is now our head girl in Moldova. She directs, that's her right there, an amazing girl, a tremendous woman of God. It was her birthday just the other day. And there's another girl there called Natalie. You see Natalie right there? And she came to my house under the table, was playing footsies with my son Andrew, and she stole him from me. <laughs> and they're married. You don't have the picture of you and her, that wedding picture of the two of you? I'm telling you. You are in so much trouble when you, when I talk to her tonight, you, let's pray for, let's pray for Andrew, will we please? It's going to be very ugly. But he married Natalie. So I didn't realize that day I was picking my daughter-in-law. Isn't that a crazy thing? So this is Dasha, and um, she is a, how many languages do you speak? <laughs> only three. I've got some that speak five. But she's got a cold, so if she sounds croaky, it's because she's got a cold. Tell me what Jesus did for you now. Hello, everybody. Um, we're so blessed to be here. Thank you for having us. Um, you know, we appreciate uh, all the people that um, are doing something for us, you know, and are seeing Dad's vision. And um, thank you. Um, when my mom got pregnant with me, my dad said that he wanted to have a son. And when I was born, he left, never came back. My mom became an alcoholic. Um, she was too young to have a kid. And she wanted to live her life. So when I was two years old, she left me in the care of my uncle and his family and went away to Russia to live her life. I only saw her once a year. Um, and I would spend the rest of my time with my uncle and his family. My auntie will never miss a day when she, would never, she wouldn't tell me that that was a mistake that my mom has made and that I was an embarrassment for the entire family. And those days when, you know, at that age, life became, became so hard that I would beg for my uncle to take me back to my mom's house and I would hide in our closet and I would hug her clothes and smell her. 
because it was the only way that I could keep her close. After a few years, uh, my uncle and his family decided that the best thing they could do for me was to put me in an orphanage. So that's how I ended up in the largest orphanage in the country. Before that point, you know, I realized that I wasn't wanted, uh, I wasn't loved, and everything else that came with it. But the moment I got to the orphanage, I realized that 800 of us weren't wanted, and 800 of us weren't loved. And 800 of us thought that we were mistakes, you know, and somehow our parents were the ones that made the mistakes, but somehow we were the ones paying for them. And for seven years, that's all I had in my mind. Teachers weren't interested in us, you know, to tell us that we can do something in life or, you know, change or break the circle. You know, they were there to do a job and, you know, their job was to tell us that we're nothing, that our parents were nothing, that we will grow up and become nothing or make the same mistakes that they did. And someday, our kids will end up in the same place as we. And, um, you know, the orphanage was the only home I had, the only house, the only home I knew. So when I was 16, when you're 16, uh, if you're a boy or a girl, doesn't matter, you age out of the orphanage system. If you don't have anywhere to go, you end up on the street. And I thought that my life was about the end. I couldn't imagine my life outside the orphanage gate. I thought I was going to be done. And um, just when I thought that my life was going to be done, you know, I met the Cameron family that day sitting on the bench. And um, there are some days when I think how close I was to missing that. Because just before we sat on that bench, we were busy painting our bedrooms in a very ugly blue color. And when someone came and told us if someone wants to meet you guys, you have to come in the front of school, we just told them to go away. We were done. We were ready to leave. It didn't matter to us. And the director got mad, and they sent for us a second time. And we went there, and we sat there. We thought a few more minutes of listening to these people saying hello, goodbye, never see you again. And our life would continue to go down hell, like always. But um, God has changed. That day was so different, just when we least expected it. And um, when I graduated or aged out, because of the family, I had a place to go to. I had a chance to go to school. And I had a chance to a family. And it wasn't just an overnight transition. It was hard work. And trying to understand that we are not mistakes. Because God created us, and God is so perfect, he'll never make mistakes. And we're just, I've been in the family for the last 10 years, and I'm so thankful that God has changed my life through them and has redeemed me, and not just me. One of the things you guys need to understand is that it doesn't stop with us. We reach out to our parents, 
that once abandoned us, we reach out to our cousins, brothers, sisters, grandparents, and we forgive. That's one of the lessons we have learned. Because unless we forgave them, we'd never be able to move forward. And just like God, how God wants us to be saved, he wants our families to be saved as well. It doesn't matter what they did, he's the judge, not us. And um, I am so thankful for thousands of people that have stood with dad and ministry all over the years, you know, and have believed in us and have given us a chance because it's truly made a difference in my life, in my family's life, my friends' lives. And it's just me here today, but we have over 40 kids in Moldova that are going to school every day and have, are reaching their family every day. And we also have orphanages that we go to. We are their hope, but we can do it without you guys. So um, I wanna thank you. I wanna thank you for giving us a chance to be here. Uh, God bless you all. You're amazing. Thrown away like a piece of trash because she was a girl. Her uncle's wife, her auntie, hated her and would call her a bastard every day to her face. You're a disgrace to our family. Every meal you don't deserve to eat this food. She lived out in the garden hiding. And what they didn't see was an absolute unbelievable princess with a mind that's so sharp it's terrifying, that understands my dreams and translates it into action in Moldova is up most nights because it's eight hours later there than here. And she dared miss a phone call from Moldova in case it's important. So she's up most of the night answering questions and taking questions for me to answer the next day. And she loves her mom who threw her away and sends money home to her mom and her family that abused her. And if I hadn't obeyed, she would never have been there. And that's how important what we do is. Not amazing. I want you to watch a very short video. We have a tremendous challenge. I was presented a few months ago with the opportunity to buy a whole village of houses that will house 90 kids. It's called Vatra. And um, I'm happy to tell you all these houses have been sponsored. TCT, the house that TCT is sponsoring is on the right-hand side, Natalie's house. Daystar's house, Daystar Television sponsored the one up in the top left-hand corner. All, they're all sponsored but they're not finished yet. It costs thirty-five dollars to $40,000 to finish the house, put in the kitchens, the flooring, the heating systems, all the showers and toilets, the painting, 
um, they, they weren't properly insulated. These houses were built by, for rich people to spend the summer in, and they didn't properly insulate them. So we take all the sheetrock down up on top and re-insulate the whole thing and then rewire it because we found faults with the wiring. And um, everything you give in this mission offering that's coming up in a wee while is going to help us finish one of these houses. And I challenge this church to reach out beyond your world into Dasha's world and into these kids' world. Watch this. Moldova is a nation in a desperate place, torn between the east and the west, stuck between yesterday and tomorrow. It has the highest alcoholism rate in the world and has been voted the unhappiest place on earth. Poverty and alcohol is a deadly mix. It breaks the home. It causes unimaginable suffering. It creates orphans. Children are abandoned as their parents go abroad to find work. Often, they never come back, and children become another statistic in a land of loss. From the orphanage or poverty-stricken village, it is a short step to the arms of the trafficker and a life of unspeakable hell. Standing on street corners anywhere in the world, being sold as much as 30 to 50 times a day. Once a girl is broken, she won't fight back. Lost into a world of shame, pain, drugs, and violence. Each girl can earn their captor $300,000 a year. Trafficking is more profitable than drugs. Yet, in the midst of all this sorrow, a miracle is taking place. Orphans are finding hope through the work of the orphan's hands. They are finding their broken hearts healed by God's love, and hope is turning into action. These amazing kids, once redeemed, have an unstoppable desire to help those who have been left behind. They have become missionaries to those who are what they once were. We are growing. We desperately need more space. We have been praying and God has given an answer. Vatra Village. Six homes that will hold 90 kids. Vatra means hearth, a place of warmth and comfort, something most of these kids have never known. These beautiful homes are not yet complete, but by God's grace, they will be the hearth in the heart of many kids who today are alone. In these rooms, care and love, hope and healing will transform pain into purpose and loss into life. Standing a few hundred feet from Moldova's largest lake, Vatra was sold for over $1 million just a few years ago. Today, it has been offered to the orphan's hands for the miraculous price of $600,000. The owners know what we do. They want us to help the youth of their nation. Just think, for what two captured girls earn in the hell of trafficking, we can buy Vatra Village, a place of hope, 
to save countless lives. Will you help us to save these broken lives from cold street corners and offer them a hearth, a home? Thank you. And that is what we are believing God for right now, a place to save 90 more kids. And you can help us finish these houses. As I said, they've been sponsored. We're just believing God for the money to finish them and furnish them. And in a few moments, the ushers will come and the pastor will come and receive a missionary offering. If I were to take you there, if I were to take you to that place and stand there and say, we could finish this whole place for $1,000. Most of you would say, well, I, I don't have it right now, but I, I can find it or I can give it. 90 lives saved. And um, pray about that right now, will you? Valentina and Dash come up. We have a card. The greatest challenge we face on a daily basis is feeding these kids. In a country where gas is $4 a gallon, cooking gas is almost double the price. Food is more than double the price. A pair of jeans in Moldova for the girls costs $60. And that's rubbishy, terrible quality jeans. And how we've managed to provide for all these kids and we'll provide for VATRA because this is going to expand considerably our budget. We have people that give a dollar a day less than the price of a can of Coke. That won't change your financial outlook greatly, but it sure changed her outlook and it sure changed Valentina's outlook. Valentina's parents died when she was a baby. She was adopted by a couple that didn't, couldn't have children. And after a few years, a miracle happened. The mom, who was unable to have a child, had a little boy, Andre. And her dad, her second dad, was thrilled. And after only a year, less than a year, he died of a heart attack, which plunged her family into terrible poverty. The mother had to work to try to keep them alive and feed them. There's no social world there of help. And our mom got sick and she died. So Valentina has been orphaned twice. And a lady in our town, five hours away from where we are, says that a guy called Philip Cameron, if you find him, he'll help you. And Valentina took a five hour bus ride after giving her brother away. Got on a bus and came to see me and says, is there a place in, in your life for me? And I am so glad I said yes. And our brother Andre is now part of our life. In fact, every time he gets a vacation, he comes to our houses. And that is, he, he, he's the only boy that's allowed in the girls' houses. That's the most spoiled kid you ever saw in your life right there. And uh, so if you'd like to help us become part of our family, you're so important to us. They have a card. It just says, save a life for a dollar a day. If you take one right now, they'll come and you can put your hand up and they'll give you one. And take it and fill it out as clear as you can. And um, by doing so, you are saying, I want to be a part of the miracle of these girls' lives. And take that, if you would, if you print it really clear. They help us in the office and these foreigners don't read very good English. So write it as clear as you can for us, if you would. And fill it out right now. And after the service, if you go out to the back, we have a table of product back there. And if you give us your card, I'm gonna give you a copy of this book, 
full house. You saw him talking about it yesterday on television. And this is household salvation. This is how you can see your family saved. The first half is my testimony. The second half is how you can see it happen in your family. So um, just lift your hand up, keep whistling, shout at them, they'll, they'll get you. There's one back here, Valentina, you walk past. We love you anyway. There you go. Va Valentina is an artist. She has a brother, as I said, that she supports. And another girl that travels with us, she's not here this weekend for space in our van, but they paint. And um, what we do is they help their families back in Moldova and the Ukraine buy their paintings. And um, you can give, uh, you can help them. Valentina made this painting here. There's many back there. And you can take home a piece of art at the same time you, you're helping her support herself and also her family. Come on, Dash, how are you doing? Are you okay? You missed one, Dasha, to your left. You missed two right there. One, oh, I love you so much. If you miss any, we're not giving you lunch today. I'll let you know now. There's two back. Oh, dear gracious me. Those T-shirts they're wearing, by the way, together, the one that, that Valentina's wearing, if you look at it, it says, to get her. And um, that's why that's like that. And you can get those afterwards. Isn't that cool? And the one that Dasha's wearing says, my friend is being trafficked. And that is very true for them. Anyway, if I missed anybody, I'd hate, I'm a Scotsman and I'm a missionary. And for two reasons, I'd hate your hand to be missed today. Because you are, every one of you are so important to us. Thank you so much. Pastor's going to come and receive this missionary offering for Vatra. Can you help us finish one of these houses? How many would like to come to Moldova? Would you like, would you like, would you like to come and do a mission trip to Moldova? Well, we, I think that's going to be working out. I think that's going to happen. Thank you so much for your time. We'll leave as soon as the service is finished and go back to Montgomery. And um, how many will promise to keep praying for the orphan's hands? Will you do that? Thank you so much. Thank you. Today, the girls didn't just speak for themselves, but they spoke for countless girls that you'll never see. The reason this is so dear to my heart is because I've seen this. I've held a little girl in my hand that had AIDS, put in a hospital, out in the middle of nowhere because nobody wanted them to know and nobody seemed to care. I remember picking her up. I saw her the first time when she was two. Discovered she had AIDS and I couldn't believe it. I came back a year later and she saw me down the hall and she came running to me jumped up in my arms and I held her and then two years later but this time she's five and we were there cleaning property building a playground and I looked at her, the back of her and I said Anya and she turned around and she jumped off that tricycle and she jumped up in my arms and she looked at me and said daddy That broke my heart. We, 
we live in a generation where children are being raised in fatherless homes because men can't find I'm not going to get into that but we just need some guys that are willing to step up and say look I and you know what I did when when that girl said that to me I looked at her and I knew she couldn't understand me and I said I'll be your daddy until I can introduce you to your father and that's what Philip is doing he's not just rescuing girls off the street he's giving them an eternal home they call him daddy because everybody needs that figure in their life and unfortunately sometimes it's like the stories you've heard but it doesn't have to stay that way we can make a difference so I'm asking you today as the ushers come to ask yourself a question what can I do I'm not talking about what do you have in your pocket right now I'm asking you what can you do and just pray and ask God because what you give today is going to keep giving long after this but one thing I, I just want to make clear is those houses hold 90 girls but it's just not 90 girls that are going to live in those homes they're going to be hundreds of girls that go through those homes in the years to come thousands of girls so the investment we make today will continue to touch and change lives forever let's pray together father we thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to sow a seed to change a life these opportunities don't always come along god so i'm asking you to help us to do the best we can and we thank you for those that are in the front line sharing your love making sure that these girls know that they have value great worth in jesus name amen as they take that offering up again let me encourage you to stop by the tables in the lobby and pick up product there i don't know i may end up going to moldova is it moldova <clears throat> i'm not going to go there and stay i'm just but if i go the only way i'm going is if i get to go to scotland first i was glad to hear him that he's half irish weren't you put your hands together for the irish he had his moment i'm going to take mine <laughs> I always tell people, I said, oh, there's a wee bit of Irish in all of us. And so, what, uh, as you stand today, how many of you were excited about what he was talking about on household salvation? Isn't that great? I want you to, I, I, I just, you know, there's a feeling in my spirit. I've communicated with some people. I said, but there's a feeling in my spirit that this year is a pivotal year that God 
is that, that there's like new territory that's coming, that, that we're going to see things break open in places that we never thought would break open in areas of your life that have been closed down and it seems like the devil has just set up camp, you're going to begin to see God break down those strongholds and you're going to find the freedom and the victory that you've been looking for. Are you ready for that today? If you would stand with us and I, I want us as, as we get ready to pray, look, if you've got a special need, we have healing rooms on each side. There are people there that will pray for you no matter what the concern is. They're able to take care of that. We thank God that uh, Elaine is with us today. Uh, she had an episode in, which could have easily taken her from us, but she's still with us. So let's give God a hand clap of praise for that. We've had, just, just this past week, we had Joanne Carter that, that uh, nearly left this life, but they're going to, I think they're getting ready to release her from the hospital. I went to see her yesterday, and she's up and around. They expected it would be two weeks, but how many of you know God can do what nobody else can? <clears throat> so I'm just asking you to believe God for great things today, and this is what I want us to do. I, I, I want us to do something a little bit different. As we dismiss today, this is what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to join me to pray for these girls that we've never seen, that God will reach out his hand and apprehend them, that he'll save them, that he'll make a way for them, that, you know, if you've ever been at a time in your life where you didn't know what you were going to do and when he talked about the trafficking a lot of these girls come out they get sent out on the street then they get kidnapped they're told they're going to get a job they get apprehended then they get sold off and they become a sex slave and they get used and abused to the point that they don't feel like they have any value anymore and so if it gets to that point it's so hard to break that. It's so hard to reach there. But we have an opportunity to reach them before they get there. And that's what we're believing God for. Would you join me in this prayer today? Father, we thank you, God, for those souls, Lord, that we've never seen with our eyes, but you have. You have a purpose for their lives. You have a plan for them. And what the devil meant for destruction God we believe you're going to turn around for good so we pray God that you'll apprehend their hearts that God not not just in the land that we've heard but all across this world Lord that you'll raise up men and women to rescue that never will another child have to lay his head on a pillow or her head on a pillow and feel like that no one loves them and no one cares. Lord, we pray for them today. God, help us to put actions with our prayers so that it becomes fruit in our hand. And we give you thanks for it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you today. Did you enjoy, Philip? Make sure to greet him after service. God bless you today. Remember, God's made you the head and not the tail. 
above and not beneath, and he'll bless you going out and coming in. We're so glad you were with us today. God bless you.